Thank you. Um, this morning, uh, as we were praying before first service for this, uh, for today and for the sermon, and uh, one of the things that God uh, said was that just to remove um, the scales from your eyes and uh, and have people's ears be opened. And we prayed that, and then I walked in, and and uh, the first song was, you know, our hearts wide open, and have your ears open and your eyes open. And isn't it great how God does that? He just orchestrates everything, and we don't have to worry about that. And um, as I um, share, I. During the the uh, worship, the other thing that I just saw God uh, do was um, uh, he showed me a scene from Star Trek. And so, you know, Mark always talks about Star Wars, but this morning I got the Star Trek uh, analogy. And the newest movie shows a planet and um, Kirk's on the planet and, and they're they're you know, supposed to be, the prime directive is to do no harm, right? Not to interfere. And and um, and I felt like God was saying, you know, his prime directive for us is to do no harm, you know, to each other. But we all know that there's an enemy out there, right? And the enemy is in direct opposition with God. And so his prime directive is to do harm. And um, so as I talk today about things, um, I just want you to know that, you know, when um, when you hit a place where, you know, you make a judgment or you see the shame, fear, control cycle working or you have unforgiveness, that the enemy is completely encouraging you to be harmed. That's his, his, his motive is to kill, steal, and destroy, right? That's what the Bible says. And um, God's message is freedom. You know, his message is freedom. That our hearts could be healed up and we would be free to love out of the love that he's pouring in. And, um, and so today as I was preparing, I, I um, was going to share with you a little story. My, my, I actually have a very early memory. Um, I don't remember tons of things about when I was a kid. Maybe it's because it was so long ago. But <clears throat> one of the things I do remember is being two years old. I was two years old, and I was sitting in our dining room, kitchen dining room. It was kind of a small place. And um, I was sitting in the high chair. And I was the only child at that point. My mom and my dad, um, my dad is deaf. And my mom at that point was um, hard of hearing. And since then, she's completely lost her hearing. But So she's hard of hearing. And we had a little dog. And so I'm sitting in the high chair. And this was because it was so long ago. There were no cell phones. There was no computers. There was no texting. So we had one of those phones on the wall that had the cord and it had the rotary dial. There wasn't even a push phone. And um, don't figure out how old I am. So um, I remember the dog running towards that, you know, running back and forth. And I looked and I pointed. And my dad's looking at me and I kept pointing like, and so he got up and he walked over and he picked up the phone. Now he's completely deaf. And he says, Joanne had a baby boy. Everything is fine. And he hung up the phone. And um, as it turns out, it was his aunt and uncle calling to see how my mom was doing because she was pregnant with my brother. And um, so and the message got conveyed, which is great. And, you know, in that story, my dad, he had, you know, this... He, he couldn't hear, and he needed some help. And I'm his kid, and of course I'm going to help him. And that's a biblical thing, that we serve one another. You know, the Bible talks about, you know, we need to lay down our lives for one another. We need to um, 
Galatians 5.13 says that we are supposed to serve one another. And in Matthew 23.11, Jesus says, the greatest among you will be the servant. So that's a right thing, to serve your family. And now I'm going to tell you about how it can little go, go along and get a little kitty wampus. So I was, like I said, I, I don't remember a lot of things, but I do remember um, we kind of, you know, I, I grew up in the age of um, mom stayed home, dad worked. Now my dad worked second shift, so my mom stayed home. And um, we, I remember her baking cookies. And when I got home from school, we'd have cookies and we'd have dinner together. And, um, and I remember my dad since he worked nights, uh, we would go camping on the weekends, you know, sometimes. Not, not a lot because we didn't have a lot of money, but I do remember our family going camping together. And, and much to my chagrin as a small child, my mother made my sister and I matching outfits, you know, and I'm sure that that was a, a very loving thing to do. I didn't think it was always loving, but, you know, my sister was five years younger than me. And so I had a, a brother two years younger and then a sister five years younger. And, uh, I'm going to talk about my perspective of what happened from my 12-year-old self's perspective. And I want you to understand that what happened was um, perceived by me in a child's eye. And now looking back, I can honestly say, with all the years that I've seen things happen, I can look back and go, when I was 12, my mother probably hit... Um, a place where she was clinically depressed. And she had a really, really rough place in her life. But from my 12-year-old point of view, I looked at my mother and went, she checked out. Now, I had learned, you know, to be part of the family and to serve was a good thing. I went and, you know, I would negotiate some phone conversations because my dad couldn't hear, or I would tell the family what, what, you know, they were saying because, you know, they, his family couldn't understand, didn't know sign language. And, and so, you know, out of a right, you know, thing, I was serving. But when I was 12, my mom really, she was sick a lot and she, uh, Stop doing a lot of things. And, and I don't remember much about that time, but what I do remember is I started to do a lot of things that she would have done. I, I cooked. I took care of my brother and sister. And uh, years later, my sister and I would talk about it, and, and she said, you know, you were the one who was there for every, every pivotal thing in my life. You know, there were some real strong pivotal things that happened in a, a young girl's life, and, and it was I who stepped in and showed her how to do things, or um, I helped her when she was sick, or I helped her get ready for prom, or I, you know, I did these things. And, and I don't really remember a lot of that, but I do know that I, I did take care of a lot of things around the house. And my dad was gone as well because he worked second shift. So um, a lot of responsibility was laid on me. And the Bible doesn't support that. Because what happened is, out of my mom not being able to, I saw her just leave, you know, and not physically leave the place, but she just couldn't help. And so my heart made a judgment, you know, that she can't take care of things. And I stepped in to do that. And now God didn't say, Kathy, you need to step up and do this. But I did. And as time went on, I completely usurped her role and when I was about 16 by this point I'd been 
been super responsible for four years and I was in charge and I knew it. And my mom somehow decided this is not a good thing. The 16-year-old cannot be in charge. She's absolutely right. But by that point, (laughs) you're right. I know how to be an adult. And you are not going to tell me what to do. And rebellion came in. And between my judgments and my resentment and my bitterness, I became a super mom. I knew how to take care of things for myself and my siblings. And I remember, I do remember when I was in high school, there was a lot of arguments between my mom and I. And looking back now, I'm sure that she was just trying to bring order to her household. And here's this child who's just gone crazy, and boy, did I go crazy. But in my mind, you haven't been here. How dare you? You, you don't know what's going on. I totally know what's going on. And so um, I, I, uh, that is not <laughs> what was supposed to have happened. And, you know, there, so we call that term of what I did parental inversion. And there are some really legitimate reasons why families stop functioning. Moms get sick. Dads get sick. Divorce happens. Um, somebody dies. You know, those things are real things. But when you take over out of your woundedness, that is not what God intends for you. And what happens is, even though you're trying to serve your family, you can even think that you're really honoring them by doing this. You are doing it out of your judgment and your pain. And that... Um, you know, that just allows your childhood to be robbed. I feel like I, you know, my childhood was stolen from me. And it wasn't my mom who stole it. And it wasn't God who stole it. It was the enemy. And um, the Bible says that in Second Corinthians twelve fourteen that children shouldn't look out for their parents. But parents should look out for their children. And... Um, a couple weeks ago, or a week ago, I was uh, I had my grandson over, and he is six years old, and he has a little sister who's four, and his name is Aiden. And we were playing in the pool, and uh, he was with um, my boys, Kevin and Caleb, and um, they were doing they were playing, and I could just see Aiden trying to be, you know, just this. He was trying to play like they, you know, they're they're big guys, and and so he'd take a hit with this little ball, and and at one point I really thought he might have been hurt, and I could see him just kind of shrug it off, you know. He's going to be tough. He's going to be he's going to be a man, you know. And uh, I had been reading about parental inversion, even though I I totally have lived it. I was doing some research on it, and one of the things that I saw was it would be very easy. My my daughter is a single mom, and she is a great mom. And I could see well-meaning people look at him and go, Oh, now you're the man of the house. You make sure you take care of your mommy. Now, that sounds like a nice, encouraging thing. But I just have been seeing, and and I shared this a couple weeks ago, but, you know, God is, God created the universe by speaking out, right? Is that true? And then he created us. In his image, right? So if he has that power to speak things out, do we not think that there are power in our words? And so here's my grandson 
laid with this. Now, this has not happened. I'm just saying, and, and I could just see a saying, you take care of your mommy. And him go, okay, I'll be the man. And I'll take care of my mommy. And I'll take care of my sister. And what does a six-year-old know about taking care of anybody? He doesn't know anything. And so in that, I, I can just see, oh, I don't know how to do this. So, well, I, I ooh, that's kind of scary. And so now fear enters. And along comes the enemy whose prime directive is to harm and to say, oh, yeah, that's kind of scary, isn't it? Now people will know there's no man in your house. So you'll have to be that man. Hmm. How are you going to do that? Let's, I know, if you control your environment, if you make sure everything is perfect, then you'll be the man. Enter shame, fear, and control. The enemy hands it to him, and his little six-year-old heart goes, okay, I'll try to control. And for me, I was 12, and I bought the lie. And I went, oh, chaos. If someone isn't in charge, there'll be chaos, so I must take charge. And I will take charge, and I will start striving. And I learned real early that home is not a place of rest. Now, for some of you, this, this message is not for you. You don't struggle with parental inversion. Um, some of you, though, might resonate with some of the judgments I made, some of the shame, fear, control cycles that are happening, some of the unforgiveness that happened. And, um, and uh, so, you know, just kind of key into those things, or, or maybe, you know, someone like me. <laughs> um, now, the problem with this is this usurping of the parental role is a sin, And it's a hard sin to hate because, really, you're doing it out of service. But when you do it out of a heart that's been wounded, it comes off as striving, and there's no rest, and you're struggling. Now, if there's a heart that's healed, and it's loved, you can serve out of love, and it doesn't cause strife. Um, And the other thing about it is a child is not equipped to handle the adult responsibilities. An adult has had years of learning and watching people and growing and can reasonably look around and go, you know, that person's doing that thing over there. That is not my problem. But a little kid looks around and suddenly, oh, it must all be my problem because they they can't understand all of the world and it's working. And so... um, So some of the things that I learned um, through all of that was that home is not a place of rest. It is a place of striving. And um, I need to strive to keep the chaos away. Um, I became super responsible, responsible for everybody. Oh, you know, this, this thing happened over there. Oh, well, that's because, see, it, it's really my fault because that person did this thing. And see, I, I'm, I should have done this better or I should have done this thing over here. Or maybe they're struggling because of, you know, suddenly I'm responsible for everything and everybody. Seriously? True. That's how I felt. Um, I said, cannot rest at home, but wow, am I tired. Could not take a break at home, but I am exhausted. Uh, feel completely in charge of social situations. And I just had this happen not too long ago. I was, at, I was at someone's house, and they weren't quite prepared, ready. Everybody was there, but they weren't quite ready for everybody to be there. And what it looks like when my heart is healed and I'm loving, I walk in and they need help, so I'm going to serve them. I'm like, oh, sorry, is there, is there something I could do to help you? 
Oh, yeah, could you cut this up? Oh, sure, I could do that. What it looks like out of woundedness is, oh, yeah, everything's not ready. Oh, my gosh, what will people think? Here, I'll help you. You know, I don't think you should do that first. I think you should do this first, and let's do this over here, and I will, I will save you. I'll take care of it for you. And then enters martyrdom. <laughs> and I had to look up the word martyr because I was like, oh, a martyr. A martyr, according to Google, is a person who sacrifices something of great value and especially life itself for a principle. Now, we understand this in, um, in the Bible. People were believing that Jesus was who he said he was. Jesus is the Son of God. And so they would not renounce that, and they would lose their life. You know, you have to renounce Jesus or else you're going to die. No, I'm not going to renounce that. That principle that I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, is worth giving your life for. The problem with this principle is the principle is control. And so I'm going to give up Things of great value. What I see people do that struggle with this, what they give up of great value is relationships. I'm going to give up the relationship. And they don't consciously say, I'm going to give up the relationship. The relationship doesn't matter. Control matters. I'm going to work myself to death to make sure that I stay in control of the situation because I can't, and then I can't rest. And suddenly I'm so burned out I can't even, you know, talk about becoming depressed. Oh my gosh, what a load to carry. Um... It also brings um, with it unreasonable fear. Fear that the family will fall apart without me. And I can't really trust you to take care of this, so I have to do it myself. I can't trust the kids to make mistakes because if they make mistakes, well, then it will look bad. Shame for control starts in. And so we have to control them, make sure they don't make mistakes. And, and spouses, you know, you get married and suddenly you're like completely controlling because you don't want them to make mistakes. But really, making mistakes is part of learning sometimes, and it's okay. But there's that unreasonable fear that the enemy just feeds and feeds and feeds. Um, And then here's the big one. Denial. Not just a river. They cannot accept that they are controlling. You could have presented all kinds of evidence in front of me. And I was, oh, no, no, not me. I'm not controlling. What are you talking about? No, I'm just making sure things are okay. This isn't control. No, 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 no. But the enemy had blinded my eyes. You know, put put a you know like this, you know those horses. You know they got the things here, and I'm only seeing what the enemy wants me to see. I don't, I don't see control. And over here I'm doing this, and I'm over here I'm doing that, but I can't see it. Um. And the other interesting one, and, and I can see this in some areas as, as I was doing some more research on it, because I do understand it, but I didn't understand it in the depth that I felt that you needed to understand it, um, was that there's an inability to feel. And this one was really interesting. So if there's a problem arises or there's something happens, they shut down their emotions, go super logical. And we've all had these people. They give advice, but there's no heart behind it. There's no emotion connected to it. And who wants a bunch of advice when you don't feel like that person actually cares? Do you know what I'm saying? That, that there's that, that disconnect. And they don't even realize, I didn't realize that, that I was doing it. That I was giving off advice without actually having a heart connection with the person. So, wow. 
That's really heavy, right? And it's totally not God. Not God. God says freedom. He loves you and wants you to be loved. He wants to restore your heart so that you can be free to love. Not because you're being controlling or being controlled. He wants you to love out of freedom. He wants you to serve out of the love he's poured in that you can pour out. And um, so I had been a Christian for a long time. And I um, was serving here at the church. And we had these potlucks. We had potlucks quite often back in the day. And I was back in that kitchen right there. And we had had a successful potluck, which means everybody was fed and there was food left over. It was good. That, that's what I consider a success. And I remember Pastor Cameron coming in and um, saying, you know, wow, you did a great job. And I just, and I, what I heard was, you did a great job. Yeah, right. He doesn't believe that. Nah. There's a criticism in there. And I thought, what? Where did that come from? Like, I, I, why, why would I think that? And what happens is, for someone who struggled with this, you know, my parents were not trustworthy. Because as a kid, my mom checked out. So I just felt like, oh, she, I can't trust her. So therefore, can't trust those authority figures. Can't trust God. Because God, you know, where was he? And Cameron is, he is, you know, he's in charge, and so I can't trust him. And I thought, wait a second, this does not make any sense. And at the time, I was doing some prayer ministry. So I went in and um, at the next appointment, and I said, there's this really strange thing that happened. And um, so what, what, uh, so what we did is we just prayed. We prayed about it, and God just took off my blinders. And what I didn't tell you was, um, so as a 16-year-old, I was not controlled. I was not controlled by my parents again. And, I, and the thing that wasn't controlled especially was my mouth. I was quick to tell everyone all of my mother's inabilities to take care of me. I complained to anybody who would listen especially her siblings, would just make excuses for why my life didn't turn out well. And it wasn't as obvious as that. It was much more subtle. But there was a complete dishonoring of my mother. I, I had no business being that nasty to someone who just loved me. And uh, I and I and I did I, I did it all the time. I heard it coming out of my children's mouths. Oh yeah, Grandma, <laughs> can't believe she did that. How dumb! I'm like, wait a second. Where? Oh, that was me. That that was me. And um, the thing that's amazing is God has planned, and He has it all worked out. <laughs> and I was sitting there and seeing. For the first time, all the things that I'd done, and went, oh, I gotta get, I, I gotta get, the, I, I can't do this anymore. So I confessed my sin, I repented. I do not want to do that again. I don't want to do that again. And then I did something that isn't usually in all the rest of the judgment, fear, uh, shame, fear, control. I resigned. You know what? You have my resignation. I'm not going to do that anymore. God, I do not want that anymore. I'm going to let you be in charge. 
I'm going to let you be in control. And I'm just going to go wherever you take me. You can be in the driver's seat. And um, that particular scenario happened in May. And so it's close to Mother's Day. Now, up until that point, for, I don't know, 20 years, I could not pick out a Mother's Day card for my mother. I searched high and low to find one that didn't say, you've always been there for me, Mom, because I didn't feel like that. You've always done this, or you're such a great, you know, I, I was trying to find the most generic, you know, I hope you have a great day. Can I do that? And I just said, okay, God, show me the right card. And now, whenever we do this prayer ministry or God shows us something, we don't always go to the person that we feel has hurt us or we've hurt. It isn't always like that. But this one was God saying, you need to fix this one. And I found a card and I wrote in it, I am so sorry for not being a better daughter. I love you. I am proud to be your daughter. And and I don't know what else I wrote. But do you know that something changed? In our relationship, something changed in her and something changed in me. And through the next ten years, it has continued to change. And there's still some times where something will happen and I'll go, and God goes, really? Nope, I don't want to go there. I have to say, no, 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 no. I, and, and my mom can be challenging. Um, and, I, and my mom, is, because of her hearing loss and some other things, emotionally she never really got to, a, um, she kind of stayed emotionally like a teenager. And um, some of the things that I did that contributed to her, uh, some of the things that I did contributed to her siblings speaking badly about her. And I had the opportunity the last two years actually, to say things to my aunt and uncle, um, to a couple of them, and just say, you know, my mom just wants you to love her. She just wants to be received by you. And it has changed how they have treated her. And really, I'm not going to say that I was the only catalyst in how they treated her badly before, but I definitely had my part. And this year on Mother's Day, I was able to call her and say, you know what, I, it's Mother's Day. What would you like? I, I'll make you dinner. I'll make you breakfast. I'll do whatever you would like. And she said, I would like breakfast. And she came over and I had, out of a heart that had been healed, I was able to pour love and serve her amazing breakfast because I can cook. And I was able to just love on her and feel, know that she received that love for me. I know that she could receive that. And um, now I will tell you something that happens with people who are parentally inverted is that we have to resign from control. And, and I wish I could say that you could just do it one time and it was done. Unfortunately, those patterns were built up for a really long time. I said I was old, okay? So from 12 until 10 years ago, I'm not going to let you do the math, I spent a lot of time learning how to control. And uh, and <laughs> even sharing this message, I'm a little bit nervous because now I'm giving my husband license to say, really, honey, you're being controlling again. Maybe you want to step down from that. I'm like, oh, geez, now here we go. Because I need that. I need to be accountable to not do that, to not be responsible for things that are not my problem, and not and not not to serve out of strife, but to serve out of love. And the, the other thing that I um, 
want, just want to make you aware of. And I had not seen this. And I think one of the reasons that I didn't see it was because, like I told you, that my dad wasn't home in the evenings because he worked. And so, um, so I didn't have that opportunity. I'm sure that it would have happened with me if, if I had. But there's another part of parental inversion called, in what we call, substitute mate. And it works like this. So if um, I'm... I'm a daughter and I have these two siblings and we're growing up. And say my mom is out of the picture completely and my dad is there. And I step into the role as the mom and here's my dad. Now what happens in a normal mom and dad relationship is intimacy. And we all know what I'm talking about, right? I don't have to be graphic. So there's that intimacy. But if I'm a daughter and a mother and I have this with my dad, I go, whoa, whoa. Nope, no intimacy here. Right thing. That is a right thing, okay? So I'm shutting anything down that would, would be between us. Just, just in my own, I would not let myself feel intimate about my parent. And what's interesting is the phenomenon that happens, and I believe this is completely a design by the enemy, is you grow up, you get married, you fall in love, get married, and you're intimate with that person. It's the right thing. And you go along and everything's fine. And then you have a baby. And now this is not, <laughs> I'm not, sometimes moms are just plain tired. You've been up all night with the baby. you got this other thing going on. I, this is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about suddenly you're like, <gasps> that revulsion to intimacy with your spouse could be from years of shutting it down, shutting it down. And shutting it down. And now that you're a mother, and you're actually a mother with your own little kids, you go, oh, I have to shut that thing down. And that cuts off intimacy. And that can happen with a dad who, you know, was helping raise his siblings. It can happen if it's just, you know, a son with a mom. And here's, here's the thing. I was a single parent. For, for a short time. And single parenting is very difficult. And it's, and it's really hard. And I'm not putting anything on single parents. One of the things the church is supposed to do, and so all you moms and dads out there, men and women, you know, those that are single parents, you need to rise up and help them with their kids to show good role models to your kids. And I had some good role models for my boys when I was a single parent. And, but the other thing is to not take that burden and go, Oh my gosh, it's so hopeless. I can't, that's not, that's not, you know, God, with, with God, there's hope for everything. There's hope for my healing and restoration, and there's hope for my kids' healing and restoration. And, um, so I wanna, I just wanna leave you with, with the last thing is that if this resonates with you, it's real easy to get free of. You just go to God and say, where do I need to start? Who do I need to forgive? What do I need to confess? Where do I need to resign? And where do I need to keep resigning? And then, if this doesn't resonate with you, but you know a person that it resonates with, I'm telling you right now, going to them and showing them the list is not going to work. But you can pray for that person. You can pray and say, God, just reveal that to them so that they can get free. Amen. So. Thank you, Kathy. It's so nice you share all those things in your life so we don't have to get up and, and do ours. <laughs> it's awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, 
boy, this whole series, healing and restoration, and the more you hear, the more you hear. I mean, we need it. We all need it. But it's just so overwhelming sometimes. There's so much stuff. And you're thinking, wow, this is constant. This is like, how does anybody have any time to concentrate on all of this and still get anything else done? Because I'm so far off. You know, I'm just so far off the mark. And um, it's an ongoing thing. It absolutely is. But what we have to realize is God's got this. That's what he's telling us. And it's that, it's that control thing. You know, talking about sitting in, in the judgment seat. Right? Nah, let's hop out of there and give that to God. I, one of my favorite uh, things I read, you know, in one of the church signs one time, is uh, it said, if God is your co-pilot, you need to switch seats. You know, I love that. Because, you know, you hear, oh yeah, me and God, me and God. God's my co-pilot. I'm good. You know, no you're not. It's God and you, God and you. Switch seats. You know, if you're in that plane, is he sitting on your right or your left? And uh, I don't know. It still seems overwhelming to me. But I think you have to give up control. I mean, there's so much stuff every day. Yep, I'll give you this, I'll give you this, I'll give you that. You know, Communion Sunday. You know, God, do this.